No, the swamp's too dirty. It's full of whatever alligator shit out, which I can only assume is people. They don't eat people. They eat people all the time. They don't. Last year, Sarasota County, Florida, Chet Willard, age 16, swimming in the Oak River Canal, killed by an 11-footer. Two years ago, Chatham County, Georgia, Ruth Baker, age 39, killed in her backyard by a 10-footer. Archer. Same year, Pinellas County, Florida, Walter Jakes, age 70, and his dog. Archer. Killed by a 12-footer. Three years ago, Dade County. Archer. What? What are your three biggest fears? Archer. Alligators, by far the biggest. And so you've memorized every fatal alligator attack? Just in the U.S. I can't find any information on attacks in China. They only live here in China, two different species. Chinese alligators are smaller, but their bellies are fully armored, so it kind of equals out. And can we change the subject? Okay, what's your second biggest fear? God, will you just... It's crocodiles, okay? Wait, do crocodiles even live here? Not here, here, but in the Everglades. That's like... A thousand miles away. Well, three years ago, they caught a nine-foot croc in the surf at Myrtle Beach, so, you know, shit happens. Wow. Not sure I even want to know what your third biggest... Brain aneurysm. What? What does a brain aneurysm have to do with walking around in a swamp? Nothing. It can happen anywhere at any time. That's why it's so terrifying. Oh, my God. Okay. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And uh, this was definitely an episode of TV. Yes, it was not as good as last week. Better than the week before that. Yeah, uh, I feel like we were really riding high on a whole bunch of really good episodes for a while there. Yeah. And this one isn't bad or anything. I think this episode would have been better if it had been earlier in the season. Yeah. Also, there's a thing at the end that really bothers me that I'll bring up when it happens. But this is episode 12 of season 7, A Taste of the Heights. Mm. And it is a Sabine episode. And I think it fixed a lot of things I was complaining about with Tiana in the earlier Tiana episode. You mean like how she actually has a personality now? Yes, that kind of maps on top of the one from the Disney movie. It's weird because she has way more of a personality than we've seen Sabine. Well... She has more of a consistent in-character with the Disney movie personality in this episode, but it also sort of feels like none of the actors really brought their A-game here. It was a low-energy episode, that is for sure. I mean, we're not reaching David and Mary Margaret in any season besides season one levels of phoning it in, but it was it was you 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 summed it up perfectly it was a low energy episode yeah it wasn't phoned in but it was definitely skyped in so as a reminder uh victoria belfry victoria rapunzel cinderella belfry has met her she's end. not cinderella oh, i mean she's lady tremaine oh i guess she has kind of a cinderella-esque story because her formerly her former family made her into their servant okay sorry continue so Anyway, she's dead. Dead as hell. Sacrificed her life to save Ivy from uh, Gothel, who was using her life force to bring Lucy out of the coma she was in. Because in order to get Anastasia out of her coma, Lady Tremaine had to put Lucy in a coma. And then in order to get Lucy out of that coma, she had to sacrifice her own life. Yeah, that's how it went down. We also are reminded that in a previous episode, Tiana met Dr. Facilier and that he used her to acquire the Resurrection Stone. 
amulet. Well, he took the stone out of the amulet once he had it. Yes. It's just the res- the resurrection stone's a thing in Harry Potter, so. Sure, of course. We also remember that if the this incarnation of the dark curse is broken, then Henry will die because he was poisoned before the dark curse was cast. Yep, so that's where we are right now. Yeah. The episode proper opens with Lucy dropping some of those magic hope flowers at... Hyacinthias. Hyacinthias at Victoria Belfry's grave, which you think would just piss her corpse off, right? I mean... <laughs> right? Also, you noted they buried Victoria real fast. They did, and it is not a fancy grave. No, it's not. Now, over everything that's happening, we are listening to Henry narrate... Yes, we also see uh, Weaver going through an evidence lockbox. We see Regina and Zelina toasting now that they co-own this bar again. And also we see Sabine getting her food truck ready for a thing. Yes. And we learn as this narration wraps up that this is Henry's podcast. Welcome to H-Town. Okay, it's just called H-Town. He's not ripping off our format here. No, no, he's ripping off NPR's format. He's trying to be an NPR podcast. He's trying to be Serial Presents S-Town. Like, I just... I, I can't even with Henry. I can't even with Henry's hipster bullshit in this episode. And I'm saying this as a person doing a podcast about Once Upon a Time. I'm okay with his podcast. It is very clearly ripping off... Uh other podcasts because he's he's talking about how every mystery just leads to more mysteries and it's like a mystery maristroika and well here's the thing he's ripping off like true crime podcasts but also he's trying to be like the npr format and i just i'm watching this and i'm thinking henry thinks he's so much better than he is and that's i think what is the core of what's irritating me he's fine it's fine so h-town he says welcome to h-town at the end of the first uh but he yes but he did mean welcome to his podcast h-town yes he didn't steal our name so uh lucy and jacinda go to see sabine who is setting up her food truck for a hipster food truck gathering at midnight in a skate park okay so it's a taste of hyperion heights food festival that's Okay, I guess that sounds kind of hipsterish, but that's like a thing. Lots of towns do a taste of whatever town thing. That's I don't have a problem with that. The fact that it's at midnight at a skate park is what makes it hipster. <laughs> okay, that is pretty hipsterish. Uh, the main reason I'm leaning in on it being hipsterish is because uh, Sabine does too. She's like, you know, thank God for hipsters, right? And and Jacinda says, yeah, it's uh, they'd be really great if it wasn't for those beards, which seems like a weird statement to make. You live in Seattle, but I live, I live in Portland, and I'm not a fan of the hipster beard, so I don't have a problem with that. I don't care about hipster beards. It's waxed mustaches. Oh, I, I hate waxed like. mustaches. Okay, so here's the thing about the waxed mustache. Mm-hmm. I legit cannot stand being around guys who have waxed mustaches because they remind me of the villain from Strawberry Shortcake. Oh my god. I feel like next time I see a guy with a waxed mustache, I might just tell him that. Yeah. I think maybe uh, maybe they uh, heard girls talking about having a crush on the bad guy from Candyland. 
Because I definitely had friends in college who were into the bad guy from Candyland, and I think he had a mustache. Wow, okay, because I was about to say, when girls say they want a bad boy, they don't want the bad guy from Candyland. But hey, no judgment! No judgment if that's what you want. I mean, it's literally children's intro to SNM. He's the licorice whip guy. I'm like... Stop, stop, stop putting these images in my head. Uh, Anyway. It really just goes to show that you can have a fandom for literally anything. I guess, I guess it does. There are people who are legitimately mad at the new designs for Candyland. Well, that's just ridiculous because they've been redesigning Candyland, you know, forever. Sabine tells them, back to the other hipster thing, the podcast. Sabine tells them that... You know, she listened to the podcast, even though Jacinda and Lucy haven't yet. She says... They're in it a lot. (laughs) Okay, she doesn't say they're in it a lot. She says, Henry's cooking up quite a mystery, and you two are the main ingredients. Ugh, really? Yeah, really, that's what she says. I don't know, I think it's the new Candyland guy that they like. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I can actually totally see that. Lord Licorice. Does Candyland have villains, really? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, they made new Candyland all anime and sexy, so that's weird. I'm sorry, once upon a time. Okay, so a thing we learned in this episode is that Sabine's food truck, speaking of hipsters... Rollin' Bayou. Rollin' Bayou has all sorts of Cajun food. I originally thought it was a food truck that just sold beignets, which is what I think it should be. Mm. She should just focus on the beignets, but it's not. She sells, like, all sorts of Cajun food. Selling gumbo out of a truck seems like it's kind of just asking for something bad to happen. Oh, no, that actually seems like a good idea to me, because gumbo is a stew, so it can just sit on a hot plate all day long. Mm. Or, you know, in a... It can hot just, bowl. It, it can literally stew all day long. I guess you wouldn't really be moving with the... Oh, yeah, now I'm imagining, like, a chase sequence with, like, yeah. a big thing, with a big open container of gumbo in the back. Yeah, that is asking for trouble. Jacinda and Lucy say that they're going to spend a quiet evening at home, and Lucy suggests that they spend a quiet evening at home with Henry, who's a super good guy who never left her bedside the entire time that she was in a coma. And hey, all- Mom, maybe you should make out with him, huh? Wink, wink, wink. Yeah, Lucy is super psyched for them to kiss and break the curse, even though, obviously, Jacinda and Sabine are not awake at this point they just think lucy's being like a weirdly intense matchmaker of course lucy's also not awake at this point so she doesn't have the full context for why the curse was cast it's true she doesn't have her memories but she does know what is true and remember before she went into the coma victoria showed her the real once upon a time book so she knows it's all true Mm. so so um so lucy and jacinda offer to help but Sabine's like, oh, I don't know. I like to do things my way. I am a very take-charge person. Smash cut to her being coordinated in the other realm. Yes. She's getting ready for her coronation. And by the way, everyone's outfits are very extra, and I like it. She's got a big gold dress, and Jacinda has a big blue dress, and her <laughs> mother has a giant purple dress, which is weird, because really, shouldn't Regina be in the giant purple dress? Instead, she's in, like, a giant gray dress. Yeah, I was about to say, I really like the cut of Regina's dress, but the color really does not work for her, in my opinion. Well, they're not letting her be the boldest person in the scene anymore. I think they put that color on her specifically to dull her down. Yeah, it's very washed out. I was thinking it was more kind of baby blue yeah. than gray. Yeah, yeah. 
kind of in that in that family. I think Tiana's mother has by far the best dress out of all of them, though. She really does, and it's the giant purple dress, of course. Yes. I mean, I think that they had to put Regina in something dull, because otherwise the coronation would be all about her and her fabulous dress. And that's just fair. It's like not wearing white to someone else's wedding. Yes. So their getting ready is interrupted by Dr. Facilier, who we have not seen in a while. We haven't seen him since the last Tiana episode. He was in EastEnders. Oh, yes. I think we talked about that. Well, I mean, he's a British actor, and I think if... I think all British actors have been in EastEnders at some point. Right, it's like how all American actors have been on Law & Order. Speaking of, he was also in Law & Order UK. Oh, really? Yeah, which I watched a few episodes of and I cannot get into it because it is just different enough from American Law & Order to be uncomfortable. Also, they wear like barrister wigs and shit. They do. It's super distracting. That's how court is in England. But part of it is like also Law & Order UK is almost exclusively from the four or five episodes i watched just remakes of regular law and orders oh i didn't know that but with the british law system okay that's actually fascinating yeah i'm honestly i feel like someone could do a really good podcast comparing and contrasting the two we're not going to because that would require a lot of time and a lot of knowledge of the british uh law system if there are any british barristers in our audience who want to team up with me to do that in my extensive free time do let us know yeah you could handle the american stuff and yeah which i'm sure law and order isn't exactly a bastion of accurate law knowledge no it's not honestly though one of the most fun things when i was in law school was watching with you know my fellow law school students was watching legal shows our favorite was uh boston legal mm. and then just talking about all of the ways that it was completely wrong well i very recent well i recently started rewatching ed do you remember right ed? right where he quits the law to go run a bowling alley right or he starts his he puts his law firm above the bowling alley because he's in love with a woman okay so ed was tom kavanaugh who you might know from the tv show the flash uh as harrison wells but uh, it was his, like, first big solo thing. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who, uh, I think he's married or he's engaged to some lady who, like, he, he moves to the big city. And he's a big city lawyer until his, I'm going to say, wife. He walks in on his wife cheating on him with a uh, dog walker. And then that inspires him to quit his fancy job and move back to his hometown to try to get with the girl that he had a crush on in high school and also he starts his own legal practice and it run- he runs it out of a bowling alley and i doesn't michael ian isn't uh michael ian black the guy who runs the bowling alley yes michael ian black works in the bowling alley saying that he runs it would probably be giving him too much credit okay he is uh he is ed's employee got it got it and i really liked the show when it was coming out And it's been sort of an object of fascination for me for a while because it was one of the shows that just straight up never got a DVD release. It was on for like three seasons Mm -hmm. and they were giving everything DVD releases, but not Ed. So finally, I... Was there a lot of licensed music in it? I don't know why it wouldn't... um, Maybe? I Luckily for me, someone uh, uploaded a few rips onto YouTube, so I got the chance to revisit it some... And it didn't age great, 
there's a lot of really uncomfortable stuff in there. And though I am no lawyer or even law-adjacent person, the legal stuff we see in that show is so beyond inaccurate. It's it's like a child's idea of what practicing law is. Okay. You know what TV show has a surprisingly accurate depiction of the law? Uh, Rizzolian Isles. I've never watched that show, so I have so I can't comment on it. Uh, I was like, one of them's a cop and one of them's a lawyer, right? Except I think one of them's actually a medical examiner. I think that's what it is, yeah. No, I was going to say Drop Dead Diva. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with that's a real high-concept show to be good at the law. Right? That's a show where the woman was an aspiring model, but then she died and she ended up in the body of a lawyer. It ran on Lifetime, and it's not accurate to the way the law is practiced because all of the scenarios are really outlandish. But it's accurate in that it is appropriately applying the law to these outlandish problems. It feels very much like law school hypotheticals where you're like, okay, but if this bizarre situation happens, what would the law do in that situation? That's basically all of what law school is. Hmm. And that's kind of what Drop Dead Diva is. That kind of reminds me of this thing I read way back when where uh, this doctor was talking about how weirdly the most medically accurate show on TV at the time was Scrubs. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, there's all of the, you know, you've got ER, uh, you've got Grey's Anatomy, you've got... House. House. And Scrubs is the one that is the most accurate for how actually being a doctor is. That is interesting. I think it's mostly because they make, they're like, being a doctor is mostly a really mundane job, except when it becomes horrifying. That is how Scrubs is. Mundane, except when it's horrifying. Hmm. Tom Cavanaugh was also on Scrubs. He plays JD's brother. He was, and his best friend in Ed had a brief role as uh, Elliot's boyfriend who seems like he's super boring, but then has a fetish so horrifying she has to break up with him. Do you remember that character? Nope. Really square head. He was only in a few episodes. He was, he was also in Lost as like one of the first others we meet. You've seen him in stuff. You would recognize him if you saw him. I believe you. Once Upon a Time. But back in Once Upon a Time, Dr. Facilier has shown up to, in also a fabulous looking outfit, by the way, which is a suit that includes both a black cape and a purple vest. So, uh, you don't like it? It reads very Vegas magician to me. The fact his cape has sparkles. It's a sparkle cape. Yeah, it does. And he has a bow tie that also has sparkles on it. Yes, he does. It's a real magician outfit. Well, he is a ma- I mean, he is a magician in a way. Hmm. He shows up with a bunch of tarot cards and says that he has come to the coronation to show Tiana her future. He's going to give her a gift, and that is the gift of foresight. Which, by the way, seems like a really great way to get out of giving wedding gifts. You could just show up at a wedding with a deck of tarot cards and be like, my gift to you is knowledge of the future. I feel like you could get away with that. I don't think you could. I think, like, there'd be a few people who would think it was cool, but most people would be like, oh, she did not want to give them a, she did not want to give them something off the registry. All right. I'm just saying I would clear it with the bride before trying it. And even then, you might get side-eyed. You might be like, really? Really? You can't just buy a china boat. You can't just buy a gravy boat. All right. Really, how often do you use a gravy boat? Right? 
but you know what would be a good one a blender because they break pretty easily so like people complain about you know oh, multiple blenders at weddings it's like a go-to joke but you could probably use multiple blenders i've been through like two since i moved to portland we don't even have one now we do oh we do yeah we just don't use it very much huh we could use it more we should break it out yeah it, it's it's in the corner downstairs on the counter oh well it's the summer we should like make uh bailey's irish cream milkshakes yeah we could do that after we uh after we record yeah okay let's do it so dr facilier's gift of the future is telling tiana that before she can take her crown she will face a test which will show her what kind of queen she will be if she can survive it Ugh, what a drama queen yeah and then he teleports out I really like his teleport out effect, which is black smoke that's shot through with red. Yeah, and it it's not exactly the same way we saw it before, but I do like how he has a different teleport than the standard teleport for Once Upon a Time. Even here, it's a little slower and it's a lot showier. Yeah. there There's a real element of theater to his magic, which is an interesting touch, and I guess works with his magician outfit. Right, well, this is what I'm saying. He's like theatrical magic as opposed to fairy tale magic mm. or just shooting cgi at people yes tiana's worried about this prophecy but henry is like no don't buy into his bullshit it's just bullshit okay i'm glad you said prophecy because i've had i know this is backtracking so much go for it but i had two weeks to think about this and you remember uh, a few episodes ago when Drizella was telling them about the dark curse that she was going to cast. Yes. And she says, and she said, there's a prophecy that I'm going to cast a dark curse on Lucy's eighth birthday. That's not a prophecy. You just told them something you were going to do and then you did it. We didn't bring it up at the time, but yeah, I was thinking about that in the moment. Yes, which it bothers me so much. There are the proliferation of prophecies in this sort of story stuff can just happen it doesn't need to be foretold and there's a whole thing about chosen one narratives and how they are really lazy storytelling unless you're doing something subversive with them i.e harry potter or arguably the hunger games where katniss's chosen oneness is just a source of propaganda for whatever side wants to use her at whatever given point so is your point that this is not a prophecy? He didn't prophesy, he didn't prophesize that she was going to face a great test. It's just that he's going to fucking test her. Yeah, it's not a prophecy. You let a giant crocodile loose in her kingdom and now she has to deal with it. It's an alligator. Is it though? Is it? I'm, I'm only bringing this up because when we were watching this episode and Hook was like, what's the difference? You, you, Max, were like, there's a difference, asshole. There is a difference. And I'm pretty sure it is a crocodile. I'm pretty sure it's an alligator. But it's so big. Aren't, aren't alligators, like, they're smaller and they've got, like, thinner mouth things? And... Yes, but I'm pretty sure it's an alligator because I'm pretty sure that this all came up because Hook was talking about crocodiles because he's Hook. Ugh. Ugh. Hook. Also, it's a gator because it's the bayou. I guess that makes sense. So everybody tells Tiana not to worry about it, but Tiana can't help but worry. She's going to go down to the docks and make sure everything's okay, because after all, she is the queen. It's kind of her job. Is it? I yeah. mean, this specific problem doesn't seem like it's her job. It, 
I mean, I guess it would be her job to hire people to be, I don't know, magic animal control or something. Well, she doesn't know what's wrong. She we, We've been talking about what's going to be wrong, but she doesn't know what's wrong. She just knows her people may be in danger. I'm going to prophesy that we're going to talk about the rest of the episode. Oh my god, it's coming true! So, we cut to Weaver and Hook talking about... Talking about how the cult is doing stuff and... Hook feels guilty because if he hadn't rescued Eloise, Victoria might still be alive, which is... It's take. I'm just going to say that. It's interesting logic. So, Weaver's like, hey... If it makes you feel better, another lady died the same night as uh, as Victoria, so maybe you have the blood of two people on your hands? Like, this, the doctor that was treating Lucy died. They said of natural causes, but a lock of her hair was cut off, and also she was really obviously poisoned, so seriously? That is weird. If you take a very liberal it's, view of what words mean, being thrown into a wood chipper is dying of natural causes. It is a natural consequence to die when you are thrown into a wood chipper. Yeah. Yeah. Over at Ronnie's bar, Henry is messing around on his podcast website when he gets a text from Jacinda asking him to come over for a game night with her and Lucy, which is nice. It is. It's, it's very sweet. And Remy comes over and he's like, hey... It's me, the rat from Ratatouille. You remember remember that movie? It was inspirational or whatnot. I was voiced by that guy. Patton Oswalt. He, he wasn't. Yeah, Remy, Remy was voiced by Patton Oswalt. Okay, I'm looking this up because I, I don't think that's true. Okay, if it's not true, don't cut this because that's how sure I am. That's how sure I am. You were right, yeah. Who was I thinking of who's in that movie? I was thinking of John Ratzenberger because I was like, yeah, that's really on the nose, isn't it? Oh, he well, he always plays a one-off character on yeah. on in Pixar movies. Yeah, he's he's always in them. I thought this was them giving him like a movie, but I guess not. Nope, it's Patton Oswalt. Huh. good for him being in a Pixar movie. Yeah, that's yeah. what that's what pays for him to not work and just write his stand-up specials. Mm. And not that he's not working; he does a lot of shit. But you know, yeah, he you is, know what I mean. He is in stuff all the time. Also, even his stand-up specials, do you know he, I don't know if this is still true now that he has a child, Mm -hmm. but back when he was at the height of doing his stand-up, he would make it a point to perform somewhere every single night while he was working out shows. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. Him and Andy Samberg are both, like, just constantly working on stuff. We we just saw the Andy Samberg, uh... Bash Brothers movie? Visual poem. That was a thing. The production values on that were so high. I mean, we laughed when there was like visual poem, but honest to God, it kind of was. Yeah, it was weird. It's like, I guess if you're Andy Samberg, Netflix will give you a shit ton of money. And I don't really know what to make of the result. I liked it, but I'm like, I don't know what I'm watching. Yeah, it's very, very surreal. And it's not like... I mean, I guess it's kind of comedic in that you could theoretically laugh at like parts of it were funny, but it was mostly just, wow, this is really well made. I don't know what it is, but it's really well made. I'm glad Netflix exists because it doesn't really fit into anything else. I don't know what else, where else it would be other than like on YouTube. Yeah, which uh, I don't think he would have got enough money to pull it off. I guess he's probably rich enough to do it himself. Back in Once Upon a Time, Remy the Rat... Yes, to backtrack a lot, Remy the Rat sits down next to Henry and starts complaining about how he wasn't on the podcast. By the way, 
we're just assuming he's Remy the Rat because his name is Remy and he works in a restaurant. But there's no reason Remy can't just be his curse name and he's like... Some guy. Like that that chef from... The chef alligator? No, no. I was going to say the chef from Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah. Oof, that would be weird. Yeah. He sits down and he's like, hey, I couldn't help but notice that not only am I not on your podcast... But that you talk about Jacinda, like, all the time. Your podcast is, like, half true crime, half boy do I want to bone this girl. So, what can I do to get onto your podcast more? But, no, he talks about how Jacinda left a mixtape, how Jacinda giving him a mixtape must have paid off. And Henry's like, she didn't give me a mixtape. And Remy's like, oh, well, she made one for you. And Henry's like, really? Remy's just stirring up drama here. Literally, Remy just dropped in to stir up drama. And speaking of people dropping in to stir up drama. Dr. Facilier literally dramas his way into the scene by mystically killing the lights and then appearing as they turn back on right the lights go out for no reason and henry goes what the hell and then the lights slowly rise back up and dr facilier is sitting at the bar and he goes i don't think the devil has anything to do with it and henry's like i didn't say the devil and dr facilier is like Okay, if you want to feed me the correct line, I can make the lights go out and come back again. Right, because he really should have said, what the devil, when the lights went out. But that's a really weird thing to say, so. I kind of love that, because it's like he had the perfect line, and he didn't get the perfect setup, but he was like, fuck it. It's close enough. I gotta go check the breaker box. This building's falling apart. the devil has anything to do with it <laughs> my guess is that your friend's right an electrical shorts to blame what how when did you come in well even a storm can sneak up on a man if he's not careful <laughs> the name's sandy okay so i like how facilier's thing is kind of but not really responding to what henry's actually saying even a storm can sneak up on a man if he's not paying attention what kind answer is that that in no way relates to what henry said also his name is baron samdi what kind of curse name is that that doesn't that's like hi my name is evel evel queen hi i'm dr acula (laughs) like really dude so he, he asks, he's like, I, I'd like to speak to the proprietor. And Henry's like, why are you talking like that? Ronnie owns the uh, Ronnie owns the bar. She's here somewhere. And Baron Samdi's like, I guess I'll go find her then. Well, he gives, he gives Henry a card to give to Ronnie. He says that he's an investor and he wants to invest in the bar and perhaps make the lights stop flickering like this. He he's coming now that Victoria has unfortunately passed. Yeah, he implies that he and Victoria were partners in Victoria's plot to take over all of Hyperion Heights, which was not the case. But also, why would people trust you if you go around telling them that you were a partner in the evil thing Victoria was doing? Like, yeah, this is kind of fun because, 
let's let let's be honest here. They really dropped the whole gentrification thing after the first few episodes. Well, you know, I think they got to a point where they were like, gentrification is complicated, and it doesn't map that easily onto the stories we want to tell. So fuck it. Yeah. Which, I mean, fair, and good for them for dropping a plot once they realized it didn't actually work that well. I do like how Henry, Henry's podcast at the beginning literally does bring that up. He's like, I came to this town because of a real estate scheme I thought was going on, only to find something much deeper that quickly took over the story. Well, I think all the best documentaries are like that. Capturing the Freedmans was just supposed to be a documentary about a children's entertainer. And then... Well, that's not what it's about. So, back in the flashback, uh, it appears that there's some sort of monster that's been wreaking havoc down at the bayou. Yeah, um, it's weird because I don't think that the I I don't think that the director is getting across what they're wanting to get across. Tiana says, "Look at the size of the bite that thing took out of this thing," but the camera i'm not seeing what they're wanting me to see like Like i see destruction but i don't see like a bite mark that i'm supposed to be looking at yeah it looks like she's looking at a chair someone smashed on the ground like there's just a whole bunch of wood everywhere like she says look at the bite this thing took out of and it's just a bunch of wood lying on the ground right i mean there's destruction there's been something destructive that has happened but I, i don't I feel like the production design did not assist the script here. Honest to God, I wouldn't even think monster. Like, it just sort of looks like something happened that messed stuff up a little bit. Yeah, it's 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 a hard scene. But it doesn't matter. Uh, a different handsome man comes out with a giant spear, and he's mm. like... Metaphory. I mean, they do make that joke a couple of times in this episode. Yes. But he comes out and he's like, I'm the one who's going to hunt down this monster. It's my job. Everyone else, get the fuck out of here. It's just me and my giant spear. Yeah, he's being a major league douchebag. He's he's handsome, but he's not... This is Naveen, by the way. Yes. This is Naveen. He's not handsome in the sort of strong-jawed, foppish way Naveen is handsome. Uh, he's frat boy handsome. Um, he's got a big smile and he can raise one eyebrow, so there's something Disney Prince about him. But I see what you're saying. I, I don't know, he's got he's got a pretty strong chin. Uh, see, I see him as like, sort of a jock who does regional theater. I don't think there's such a thing as a jock who does regional theater. You know, like, a middle manager at a company who's like, handsome and affable, but kind of dickish. He's got a very particular aesthetic. Wait, you mean like uh, Fred Willard in... You mean like Fred Willard's character in Waiting for Guffman? I don't really remember Waiting for Guffman. But he's got a whole sort of well-intentioned but still kind of douchey ex-jock thing going on. Okay, I mean, I see... I can see how that could describe Naveen. But honestly, that could describe a lot of Disney princes, too. It's more a physical thing. Like, he's got the sort of square jaw builtness of someone who was that guy in high school. He has very strong that guy in high school vibes. Okay. Which, I didn't really go to a high school who had a that guy, did you? 
So our school didn't have sports. Yeah, my school also didn't have sports. So all of our that guys were the really impressive debaters. Hmm. Our debate our debate team was basically our our sports team. We didn't really have a very structured hierarchy clickwise, so I don't think our school even generally had a that guy. Okay, so our hierarchy was the debate team at the top, mm-hmm. the orchestra below them, um, everybody else, and then down at the bottom beneath everyone else, the drama club. Wow. You had to work hard to be at the bottom there. I, yeah, I was obviously a drama kid. I mean, we were like, there were a lot of real, like, future Republicans of America at my school. A lot of real, Uh, like, go-getter kids. A lot of uh, Gordon Gecko types. So we were considered especially freakish. But we all reveled in it. So I feel like it worked out well for everyone. How big was your school? Um, well, my particular graduating class had 99 people in it. Mm. And I was friends with, like, three of them. Yeah, I guess maybe it's because my school was smaller. 99 people is a tiny graduating class. Uh, say hello to my 40. No, I know, I'm just saying, both of us went to schools that were not very normal. So, we're talking to listeners who are like, neither of them went to normal schools they don't know what normal high schools are like they never had to experience a that guy in his natural element oh i'm i won't say the name because this is still a podcast but believe me i i'm thinking very strongly the name of that guy right now Hmm. it's just that he wasn't a jock he was in the debate team i've met that guys outside of their natural environments which is sort of a different vibe oh yeah definitely especially because i feel like that guys are not comfortable outside of their environment yeah i in fact my particular that guy that i'm thinking of when it was time to do the senior class play and all of a sudden they wanted me to help out because i was the drama kid and he was supposed to star in it um he 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 was not happy to be out of his element with somebody who was not taking him seriously see the that guy i'm thinking of is more someone who's affably popular not like a douchebag no i mean this guy was pretty affable oh by the way this is why i can't stand high school musical why because i lived it he came into my theater and he was like i'm a popular kid so i'm gonna start in our our senior class play and i'm like okay fine whatever and i'm like trying to put this play together and he's all like i'm a popular kid so we're gonna do it this way and i'm like i really don't care but here you need to do x y and z if you want a play to happen guess what didn't happen x y and z yeah or a play our, our class did not do a play and that oh my god i i yelled at him about it and then he felt really bad and he came and apologized to me later and our our mutual friend who was there when that happened was like i've never seen him apologize to anyone and the thing is he is really affable he was really like he was trying to be like a charming sociopath when he was explaining to me why the stuff he was supposed to do hadn't gotten done and then i wasn't here for it so i just yelled at him instead and that's when he was like i don't know how to respond when someone's yelling at me instead of accepting my charming excuses well see that's the thing about that guys they don't think that they're being mean they're just not used to people saying no to them so a lot of their negative qualities are just because they don't know how to handle situations where they're not naturally in charge exactly yeah that's exactly what went down with that That's sort of the 
aesthetic I'm getting from Naveen here. Yes. Like, he's got very much that persona. I can see that. Someone who thinks they're being charming all the time when they're not. Yeah. This particular take on Naveen. And also kind of Naveen from the movie. Yeah, I feel like this map's quite pretty pretty solidly over Naveen in the movie. He's a lot less engaging than Naveen in the movie, but he's also very constrained by... Well, he's not the... being drawn. Like, you can draw someone as, as handsome and charming as you want. Yes. Yeah, he, he's not as animated as the movie's Naveen. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, uh, he's like, I'm here to kill your monster. I have a massive spear. And Tiano's like, He does have a massive spear. Although, honestly, you don't know who this guy is. Maybe he's like a professional monster hunter and you should just let him do his job. So we cut from that to uh, Tiana setting up her uh, truck when who should approach her but curse naveen who has a really really awful lead-in line uh yeah a feast fit for a king because i'm naveen get it Uh, or or a queen because you're tiana right he gives the impression of wearing eyeliner even though i'm pretty sure he's not no i think he just has really really thick eyelashes which is a sexy thing Yes, and Tiana does her incredibly creepy open mouth smile thing when he shows up, and she's like, "Oh, it's curse name guy." Well, she's cringing. She's 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 cringy at his very presence. He. It just it reminds me of you know when she was doing her happy dance when she was getting set up for the beignet night in uh, Mister Clucks, where. It was supposed to look like she was happy, but instead it was just kind of horrifying. Okay, but here she's not supposed to look happy. Here she's supposed to look horrified. Well, I mean, they're not necessarily on terrible terms. Well, like I mean, I think we're supposed to get the impression that they are not on good terms. Like, yeah, she's being nice to him, but she's not happy to see him. His name is Drew. Yes. Apparently they were in the same cooking class or they were at cooking school together they were at culinary school together no no they were at cooking school together cooking school together they don't call it culinary school they call it cooking school all right i mean i i'm just telling you what the show's telling us yes they do say cooking school a lot so uh the main difference is that he very clearly comes from money He has a fancy truck, and he didn't have to try that hard in class, because he always... He dropped out of school, in fact. He dropped out of school and went off and did his own thing, and basically always fell into good fortune. And he reminds us that we learned this episode that Sabine slash Tiana's most important trait is that she is super controlling. Yes, she's... He's like, so, where's your crew? Oh, you don't have a crew, right? I remember you freaked out whenever anyone tried to sue Chef for you. And she's like, well, I I do everything perfectly. Why would I need anyone else to do anything? Okay, he tries to, he tries to prove how controlling she is by taking one of her sample beignets and sticking it in a little sample cup of gumbo. That's fucking disgusting! <laughs> It makes sense to stop someone who's doing something that disgusting. You're so controlling, you'll probably stop me from drinking this gallon of gasoline. Right? 
But and anyway, Drew tells her that he also has a truck at Taste of the Heights. And uh-oh, he's also cooking Cajun food. And she's like, oh. His food's called Flamin' Cajun, which... That's not even a pun. Yeah, I mean, what are you doing rolling up to a food fest in the Pacific Northwest with a truck that's not even a pun, my good man? Why don't you just call your truck food? Right? Although, remember that grilled trees, uh, cheese truck I showed you? Where it just had grilled cheese, and it's, I will make you a grilled cheese with American cheese and Wonder Bread. It is one dollar. I do not do anything else. That is all you will get. If you give me five dollars, I will not give you change. I will give you five cheese sandwiches. Yeah, and also they don't. Ta- they only take cash. Yeah. All they do is grilled cheese. I would love that truck. Yeah, I- I'd find it. I mean, I love grilled cheese. I kind of want a grilled cheese sandwich right now. I'm gonna make a grilled cheese sandwich tonight for dinner. All right. What's weird here is Tiana's so upset that they're competing because they're both doing Cajun food, and I'm just sitting here like, well, then don't cook anything other than beignets. Clearly, that's what you're supposed to be cooking. So we cut back to Ronnie's where uh, Zelina is being really weird about the fact that Henry's always at this bar. Yeah, it is weird. She says to Regina, he's here more than you are. Does he sleep here? And it's like, bitch, you know that this is Regina's son who doesn't know he's her Stop getting in the middle of this. Yeah, I don't get why she's being so douchey to Henry. Like, he hasn't done anything to her. Very strange. It's super bizarre. So, Henry gives Regina uh, Dr. Facilier's card, and he's like, so this guy dropped by earlier, and he said that he was like a real estate developer, and now that Victoria's dead as hell, he's going to sweep in and do the same thing, so I don't know why you would call him, but here's the card anyway. And... Meanwhile, oh, maybe this is why she's being so bitchy. Meanwhile, Zelina is checking her voicemail messages on her cell phone, and she's got, like, a million messages from her ex-fiancé, who is named Chad. Oh my god, really? His name is Chad. And she's like, oh my god, he keeps calling, I don't know what to do. And Regina's like, well, put it off till next week, because now we have to deal with Baron Samdi, who is also Dr. Facilier, and I know this because that's also his name. It's the worst curse name ever. So, not to, uh, not to backtrack again. So when I saw Zelina checking her phone and looking upset, I assumed it was because real world Robin hadn't gotten back to her yet because she was trying to call her all last episode during the real world bits. And I, I mean, it's a swerve because it's actually Chad, but... It is weird that... Well, I mean, I guess now that, I mean, Gothel's still out there. She should still be worried about Robin. You're right. That is weird. Well, you said ex-fiance, but she's still technically engaged to Chad. She just left town without telling him anything. Oh my god, modern day Zelina's life is a mess. She needs to get things sorted. She needs to find her daughter. She needs to break up with her fiance. Oh my god. But she still loves him, even though she hated her curse ego and like... Yeah, if she hated who her curse self was, why does it make sense that she would be in love with the person her curse self was in love with? It doesn't. It doesn't. But yes, uh, Dr. Facilier is Baron Samdi, and Zelina says, sounds like a colonial dictator, which, what? Well, because Baron. I guess? I mean, maybe it's just because I've, you know read terry pratchett's book uh 
witches abroad okay witches abroad and also other things that have invoked you know baron samty yeah but like that's like saying little red riding hood who is that some sort of cloaked murderer it does sound like a cloaked murderer like I mean, out of the context of knowing who Little Red Riding Hood is, that is what it sounds like. And I'm not saying Baron Samdi is Little Red Riding Hood, but it's not uncommon story-wise. It's, it is weird. I, I, I did feel like Zelina needed to have, like, her witch license suspended or something. Mm. But, yeah. So, Zelina's like, do you know him? And Regina's like, oh, we have. Pause. Pause. A history. Oh my. Yeah. So we cut from that to Henry going over to Jacinda and Lucy's so he can play a fun game of life. Uh, okay. He shows up at board game night with life. Okay. 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 First of all, no. No. That's a terrible game to show up with. You have to show up with a good board game. That's a terrible board game, number one. Secondly... He then proceeds to describe the plot of life to Lucy. Like, she doesn't know it. This is, like, the worst mansplaining ever. He is a terrible game night guest. I didn't know you had such harsh feelings about the game of life. I really, really do. I don't think I ever really played it much as a kid. Oh, we didn't have it. We were, like, Monopoly and Sorry. There was a lot of Sorry uh checkers i did learn how to play chess gosh what else you know those games Mm -hmm. okay so life first of all is terrible you know how monopoly was created by a communist to show how the system of property ownership always benefits the landlord and is a terrible system yes and that's why it's so frustrating to play yes okay life is like that but unironically So, the way you win the game is to make the most money before you die. That's how- but the game ends with you dying. That's how it works. That's how everything ends, though. Dark. When I was in college, my college roommates and I made some homebrew rules for life. So, like, we made it more complicated and- you, we had, like, fulfillment points, and you won by getting the most fulfillment points instead of by getting the most money. We were 18. I think I played a different version of life than you did. Yeah? Because you got experience cards, and whoever got the most experience cards by the end won. Oh, no, that's not, that's not the game that, that's not the game that existed in the 80s when I was playing it as a child. Yeah, the, the version I did, like, you'd collect different experience, like, if you landed on certain places or roll for, like, experience cards. Interesting. Are we going to have to go to a Target and, like, pick up a game of life and see how it's changed since we were children? Yeah. Because I didn't play it much as a kid either, but I played it a little bit in college, and that was... So I guess maybe someone like you uh, played it a lot and was really pissed off about that. And... It, that's That makes sense. Maybe, maybe one of my roommates actually went and redid it. Also, I remember she was very annoyed, first of all, that... There are these little pegs that you put into your car. The yeah, first for one, wife and children. Right. Well, for you and then your wife and the, well, or your husband and yeah. then your children. And my roommate was very annoyed that it was very gender essentialist so and that it only came in two colors, pink and blue, mm. and that according to the game, you were supposed to put either 
a husband you were supposed to make a heteronormative family and she refused to do that which obviously of course you should refuse to do that well, why are you i mean i know why you would but you know pink or blue could be anything you want they're just colors that's fair that's fair it's just you happen to live in uh you know that town from z-o-m-b-i-e-s ah, where everything's super super color-coded and all the all of except it's not color-coded by gender it's color-coded by whether you're a zombie or not if you're a zombie you're like green and if you're a and if you're a non-zombie you're pink you're pink or blue so it's just the world from zombies except the zombie outbreak never happens so the only two color uh clothing colors you can buy are pink or blue so our next stretch goal for our Patreon is going to be to do Descendants 2. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll put up a poll to vote for what the stretch goal is after that. But I think one of the options is going to be zombies. I think, in fact, I think I'm going to just say it now. And if it's wrong, you can cut it. But here are what the three choices for stretch goals are going to be. You ready? Ready. Okay. Z-O-M-B-I-E-S, the cheerleaders versus zombies movie. Mm-hmm. Archie Andrews to Riverdale and back again, the television movie from the 90s about Archie, pre-Riverdale. It is definitely not sexy Archie, but they absolutely do rap the song Sugar Sugar. Dear Lord. Yes, that is a thing that happens. I love that movie so much. It's no zombies. And then third, um, a binge watch podcast of Hi Honey, I'm Home. The TV show from Nick at Night where people from a sitcom got transported into the real world. I think that might not be a good third option just because it's not proportional work-wise to the other. Well, we... Hmm. Yeah, I guess that's true. All right, we'll have to come up with a third option. Hey, um, if you have an idea for a third option for a movie for a poll that we should put up, like tweet it at me at I Love TV Zines. Back at back in Hyperion Heights, Lucy is super excited because she knows that game nights lead to sex, and as soon as Henry and Jacinda kiss, the curse is going to be broken. Yep, she's like, I brought sexy apples to apples. I brought Twister. I brought Shoots and Ladders, which is the most erotic children's game ever created. I mean. Maybe, but I think you're forgetting that Shoots and Ladders is actually a variation of Snakes and Ladders, which is even more sexual. Which is even more sexual. A lot of, lot of talk about sexy uh, board games this episode. Yeah, Jacinda tells Henry how excited she is that he's going to kiss... Yeah, Lucy tells Henry how excited she is that he's going to kiss Jacinda tonight and the curse is going to be broken and they're all going to get their real memories back. And it's funny because I feel like in the first six seasons, if Henry... If Child Henry had said something like this, Emma would have pushed back against it. But Henry is just like, oh, I'm going to get to first base. I do like how Henry knows that he's like, neat. So just another quick diversion. Uh, People always make it seem like Twister is a sexy game. Oh my god, it's so not sexy. It's not. It's the trying not to fall on people game. And not in a sexy way. Yeah, it's like, it's painful it's an unpleasant experience. You find out which one of your friends aren't great at putting on deodorant. Ugh. Like, And you know what's not fun either, even though it's supposed to be fun? is drunk twister. Because every time you fall, you take a shot. And then you, you can just see how off. this is a problem. The media lies to you about how sexy twister is. It's not. It's an unpleasant game. Agreed. 
Elsewhere in Hyperion Heights, Hook and Rumpel walk into a completely different movie. Yeah, they walk into a horror movie. Although, even even in this horror movie, the bakery is painfully hipsterish. It's called the Bakery at Hyperion Heights. At with a at, at, at the at symbol. Yeah. So Hook's like, "Hey, some doctor totally died to death from poison." And she had some food from your bakery. Uh, did you kill her with poison? Did you see her come in? And then the baker turns around and it is the blind witch from Hansel and Gretel. Although sadly, sadly, not Emma Caulfield. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm pretty disappointed they didn't get Emma Caulfield back. Although, I mean, this woman does a very good, creepy woman who you could believe eats children that she tricks into her candy houses true and and it's fine it makes sense this is an alternate fairy tale world so of course it would be an alternate blind hensel and gretel witch so it's fine but yeah she turns around and she's like i didn't see dr sage at all yes and again like and hook is like oh shit sorry <laughs> i i like how hook and rumple both have the reactions an actual person would have when they walk into a horror movie because they're like, oh, let's leave. I mean, they do want to leave, but obviously they can't. They have to, uh, you know. They have to do the little small talky because uh, she's like, it's so dreadful what happened. Look at my gingerbread house. It never goes out of season. It's my number one seller. Which is weird, because even Rumple, who, remember, is awake. He knows who everyone is, but he's still like, um, isn't it weird that you're selling gingerbread houses in the middle of summer? I never don't not sell gingerbread. Yeah, it's creepy. And Hook, like, kind of tries to walk into her back room, and she's like, don't go into my back room. There's nothing in there for you. Well, the way she says it is actually both makes sense from a telling a cop not to go back there standpoint but also is super creepy which is can't have you getting into my sugar the health inspector would have my letter oh <laughs> i mean all credit to this actress she is a thousand percent committed to this she's character. the only person who is not just walking through this episode although honestly credit to uh hook and rumple because robert carlisle and uh Colin Donahue because they are both majorly wigged although they might just be majorly wigged because of how committed the actress is to being creepy perhaps perhaps she reaches down and pulls out a gingerbread man and is like cookie for the road it's fresh out of the oven you don't pay with money and they both turn down the cookie because this is super creepy but also notice that she has the tattoo of the Coven of Eight on the inside of her wrist. All right, so we've got Madame Leota, we've got the Blind Witch, we've got Mother Gothel, and we've got Anastasia, so that's four. And Dr. Sage, don't forget. Oh. oh, spoilers for the end of this episode. Yes. So they leave, and call, and Hook's like, that was weird, right? And Rumble's like, yeah, she's obviously hiding something. I'm like, she wasn't doing a very good job hiding it. I mean, is this, like, one of those... Like, does she not know she has a tattoo on her inner wrist? She doesn't know that they know that that's the symbol of the coven. Who is, who's eating at this bakery, though? I mean, 
Is it like those coffee shops where the baristas are rude to you and that's part of the gimmick? I never got those. Well, except instead of the gimmick where she's rude to you, the gimmick is that she's super fucking creepy. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly might go to a bakery where that was the gimmick. Yeah, I probably would too, except that all she seems to serve is gingerbread. And I have to be honest, gingerbread is disgusting. Really? I like oh, gingerbread. Oh, I hate gingerbread. It's not like my favorite thing, but I will I will eat a gingerbread cookie. Ugh. No, not a fan. So at the food truck fest, Sabine is getting ready and ranting to herself about how she's going to kill Drew slash Naveen. And a cop comes up and is like, hey there. And she's like, I'm not really going to kill him. I just hate him so, so much. Not just any cop. It's schlubby cop who uh, was Hook's vague partner for like the first episode and then just kind of stood in the background for a few scenes in the first few episodes after that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, good on them for reusing an actor. Yeah, yeah. It makes the world seem lived in, right? Mm. He tells Sabine that he has to check that she has her paperwork in order. And then we cut to fake fairy tale land where Tiana, Naveen, and Hook are hunting for the monster. This is the part where Hook calls it a crocodile, and Naveen is like, no, it's an alligator. They're totally different. They're not totally different, dude. But they're different. Well, especially because this is a giant alligator, and I feel like size kind of bridges Batters? The... Yeah. Yes. Size bridges the gap between those two. Well, also, it's the shape of their snout that's different. Yeah. So, Naveen's character is basically being a giant dick to everyone all the time like i was talking a lot about how one of the you know things about being that guy is that that guy is rude without realizing it but naveen isn't he's just kind of a huge douche okay i feel like naveen is just cocky and he's not here for people who don't know how awesome he is but he's not like invested in proving that he's awesome he's just like gonna quietly be awesome he's gonna loudly be awesome (laughs) yeah fair enough Fair enough. So. He he says the game's afoot. And Tiana's like, it's not a game. And he's like, this is just how hunters talk. Yeah, she's like, it's not a game. People's lives are at stake. Speaking of, they come across a peasant guy who's like, oh, it ate everyone in my boat and stabbed me a whole bunch of times. But other than that, I'm fine. But it's heading towards the people in easily murdered people town across the bayou. If only someone could get there in time to stop it. So Tiana's going to get in a boat and go stop the alligator. And Naveen says, he's coming too. You need a hero. And Tiana says, unfortunately, all I have is you. Because Tiana's pretty awesome too. Okay, so this really shouldn't be your job, Tiana. Yeah, yeah, she should really should be sending people. But... I mean, of course, this is the trait of Tiana that this episode is about, right? She has to do everything herself. She's very controlling. Which means she's going to be a terrible queen because a major part of leadership is being able to delegate, especially if you are in charge of an entire kingdom. She'll grow into it. It's about finding people who you know can do the best job at every job. Well, she sends Hook and and Ella, I forgot to say that Ella was with them. She sends Hook and Ella to take the guy to a healer. So now she is alone with Naveen. Yeah, I do kind of like how Ella and Hook are talking and, and uh, Hook's like, 
The two of them are arguing a lot. They're either going to murder each other or start fucking. And, and Ella's like, I don't care which one it is as long as they shut up. Which gets me on Ella's side. I think Ella's pretty happy that this guy got mauled so she has an excuse to leave. I think you're right. She literally just had a baby. What is she doing out there? Oh, yeah, she really shouldn't be out there. So, back in Hyperion... Like, did she pump? What's Henry gonna do if the baby's hungry? I'm sure she pumped. He has... He can get stuff from Storybrooke and bring it there. She probably has a breast pump. Huh. Also, she probably has a wet nurse. Oh, yeah. God, it's weird to think about, isn't it? Yeah. But seriously, what the fuck is Ella doing on this mission in the first place? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Back in Hyperion Heights, the cop is going through Sabine's paperwork, and he notices that she doesn't have a food safety permit and gets all up her ass about it. She tells him that she did all the paperwork and she applied for it. They just haven't mailed it to her yet, and he can't shut her down because that would be terrible. She'll miss the hipster food festival and all of the money that would come from that. And also all of the advertisement. I mean, that's the thing that I thought was the big deal. Not the money, but the fact that she wouldn't be able to get her name out there. Yeah. Which, also, is this a cop's job? I, I, I thought this was like a FDA thing. Or, not FDA, but like, say, like, there are people whose job it is to do this that aren't cops. There are food safety inspectors, but he says someone called him and said that she didn't have the permits. And so he went down to check it out. So I guess yeah. he might have done it. She assumes that the person is Naveen. Cause the person who called in the tip, the hot tip that she didn't have her permit yet. Which, yeah. my In my general experience with cops, I would imagine calling that in would get you a hearty who the fuck cares and then hung up on. Right. But nope, this is an interesting take on cops. So Sabine immediately goes over to yell at Naveen, although there's a scene change and it's later at night now, so I guess maybe some time passed before she went to yell at him. Yeah, which is weird. Maybe he wasn't there, but it does seem odd that she waited until it was too late for her to open her truck to go yell at him, because it is now nighttime and the food fest is now going on. But she yells at him. He says it wasn't him, and she's like, I don't have a long list of enemies, Drew. Which is an interesting statement, because you're saying you are definitely on my enemies list. Thanks a lot, Nixon. Uh, You know who uh, Nixon had on his enemies list? I found this out, and it delights me to no end, even though he made her life super miserable. Who? Uh, The woman who voiced uh, Rocky the Flying Squirrel. I did know that. Yeah. Because, you know, she was pro-union, so he, you know, made her life a living hell. What a terrible man. Well, he's in hell now, so. Yep, that's good. But. Drew did not call the cops on Sabine, but he realizes who must have. His partner, Baron Samdi. Yeah, his partner who said that he could basically make a deal with Drew and make Drew rich and famous. And Sabine is rightly upset. She's like, how come everything always fucking works out for you? Well. He says that Baron Samdi would do anything to make sure that his thing is successful. But Sabine points out that if missing this festival messes her up, which it probably is going to, she has no one else to rely on. She spent all of her money on this, and she's just going to be like, SOL. Whereas if anything he does fails, it doesn't matter because he's a trust fund kid. So he, he has a giant pile of money he can fall back onto. I hate him too. Yeah, pretty douchey. So, 
back in the flashback they're bonding over they're both in a boat and he's being a douche and she's like why are you such a douche you're just you're just going to kill this thing for glory i want to kill it to protect my people and he's like uh bet you feel like a dick because my brother's dead and i'm like the little kid from the end of yeah that's that's pretty dark once upon a time although it sounds like his brother was older in this universe yeah he says he and his brother were going to be co-kings he doesn't say co-kings he says they were going to share royal duties but they were basically going to be co-kings yeah that i don't think that's generally how royalty works but well this is basically just an opportunity for him to tell tiana that they should form a royal alliance well she suggests it he's like i don't know how i'm going to do this alone and she's like Maybe you don't have to. Even though you've been nothing but a raging dick this entire episode, the fact that you have a dead brother suddenly makes your behavior acceptable, and not only acceptable, but attractive. He's like, cool, I'll toast to our new alliance, and he takes out a flask, and she's like, shit, shit, shit. Yeah, it turns out that the flask was Dr. Facilier's flask, she recognizes it, although Naveen insists that it was his brother's. Wait, is Naveen's brother Dr. Facilier? Huh. I don't think so. You don't think his brother faked his death to go off and be a... Magic guy? Magic guy? I mean, I guess it's possible, but... No, probably not, though. Yeah, I I, I don't think so. But, But Tiana takes the giant alligator spear and charges Naveen with it. They're in a rowboat. There's this not a lot of... This is not a good idea. Like, maybe deal with this later, because she's like, Tell me the truth! Tell me the truth! Where's Rachel? Yeah, instead Naveen falls out of the boat. Well, and a crocodile gets him. Alligator. Well, yeah, because he fell out of the boat, and they're hunting alligators. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if they were hunting alligators, he should have fallen out of the boat earlier, because it goes right to him. That's a good point. And he's like, uh, an animal's got me, and she's like, oh, oh, my bad. <laughs> so, back in the present... Uh, Sam D's talking to Zelina, who... Who claims that she is Ronnie. Yes. They want to see... They came up with it. We kind of glossed over it earlier, but they came up with a plan to see if he... They didn't do... They did that off screen. We didn't gloss over it. They did it off screen. Oh, okay. So, yes. Zelina introduces herself as Ronnie, and she's like, I'm Ronnie. I co-own this bar. I can't sell it without my sister... Oh, without my sister Kelly's permission, and she's a real bitch. And then Regina comes in and claims to be Kelly and is like, hey, I'm Kelly, the bitchy one. I don't want to sell to you, so get the fuck out. I'm wearing a white t-shirt and a thick half tie. It's all that Roddy had in her closet and she's trying to feel like herself, Max. Ella, she is doing a lot of neckwear stuff now. Yeah, definitely. So... Dr. Facilier leaves, and the fact that he didn't question that they swapped their curse names is confirmation to them that he is not awake. Which is weird, because even if he was awake, why would he know what their curse names were? Yeah, I don't get the logic here. That actually didn't occur to me until just now, but I'm like, wait, that's a terrible plan! So, back at Jacinda's apartment, Lucy is beating everyone at checkers, uh... She says she's a checkers prodigy. She's been playing since she was two. She's also drinking hot chocolate. I like how understated this is. She just thanks her mom for the hot chocolate. She's like, well, I'm going to bed and I'm going to be putting on my headphones that I can't hear anything through. So if you two want a bone, 
I'm not saying anything, but I wouldn't hear anything. Mm. Yep. So now Lucy is gone, and it's just Jacinda and Henry talking about stuff. And especially how awkward Jacinda feels about the fact that her stepmother, who really was a mother to her, is dead now, even though they were kind of warring. Yeah, she's like, I didn't always get along with my stepmother. She did some awful things, but also part of me did love her i i I did love her and i'm having a lot of really complicated emotions about her dying but fuck that you want to you want to have sex i listen to your podcast and it's really good and he's like oh well now i do (laughs) it's true if you compliment someone's podcast it increases the chance by like 10 percent of you getting to bone them yeah i mean she knows the way to henry's pants yes henry mentions the mixtape that she made for him and he's like, I want to check it out. I want to see what you put on it. And, he, and she's like, oh. oh, oh. Yeah. Mixtape. This is, this is the most hipster episode. Like, let's just go down the hip. I think we're, I think we're at the end of all the hipster references. So let's just go down the hipster checklist, okay? You got the podcast. You got the mixtape. Beards. Food trucks. Food trucks, a food festival at night at a skate park. Mm. And also, you have the business guy trying to come in and buy up the local bar and the two bar owners trying to keep that from happening. Oh my god, is he Benny? He's Benny. I'm just saying, this is the ultimate, this is the ultimate hipster episode of Once Upon a Time. So, back in the flashback, the alligator is trying to kill- Oh, I forgot! You have a trust fund kid who dropped out of cooking school. Yes. So back in the flashback, the alligator is trying to kill Naveen and also the budget for this episode because this looks real expensive. Well, it's pretty dark. So I think that that's probably helping them keep the money down. But there are a lot of cool shots of the alligator attacking Naveen under the water. Yeah. And he's like, Tiana, just stab it with the spear. It's a magic spear. You don't even have to be good at it. He doesn't say that. You're only inferring that because he's just like, just throw it, just throw it. So well, No, he, he said when he was first introduced that he has the magic spear. Oh, I thought he meant it was magic just like in that he was really good at it. But no, it's it actually like seeks its source. Okay, all right. I assumed because that was not a good throw and that alligator is super dead now. Good point. Oh, God knows. I mean... Back at the food festival, Drew goes to Sabine and brings her his food safety permit. He's shut down his truck and he's giving his food safety permit to her, to Sabine, so that she can run her food truck. Okay, A, it's the end of the night and everyone's going home. I guess it might be a multi-day festival. I don't think it's the end of the night. You're right, it does kind of look like everyone's going home. But when we come back to them, it's several hours later, and they've been cooking steadily, so. I don't get why he didn't just, like, start working at her thing, because. Well, that is what he does. That is what he does, but this this whole scene is really weirdly phrased, because he's like, I'm giving you my food safety certificate. So when I saw that, I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. You can't just give someone else your permit. Hmm. But specifically what the cop said when he was going through Sabine's paperwork was that at least one person at the truck has to be food safety certified. So 
he comes over with his food safety certification. And as we'll see in the next scene, he is working with Sabine. So he's food safety certified and he's working there. So it's fine. He could have just sent someone over earlier or gone over earlier himself. I mean, this. Well, so my thought was that I, I didn't understand why he didn't just immediately send someone over who was food safety certified to work at her truck. But now I think he's probably the only person at his truck who's certified. Mm. So he has to shut his truck down to come over. Is it that hard to get food safety certified? It took me like when I was working in a place where I needed to do it. And granted, this is Portland, not Seattle, but it took me about 10 minutes and $7. I literally did it on my phone, on the bus, on my way to my first day. So, no. Also, she says that she mailed stuff in, but she didn't get it back. But here in Portland, at least, once you get your certificate, they email it to you and you just print it out. You don't get one in the mail. Mm. Now, your liquor license, you send stuff in and you get it in the mail. So... If it was liquor, that would make more sense, but then it wouldn't be that dire of an emergency. She just wouldn't be able to sell liquor. And, come on, she's not a restaurant. Yeah. So, uh, yes, Drew's going to come work uh, work for her, and like, oh, look, she's going to get over her thing about micromanaging, and he's not that bad a guy after all, I guess. So it's cool that they're attracted to each other. Also, she's a better cook than him, and he admitted that because he doesn't have an ego anymore, which I guess was his thing. It didn't seem like it was his thing in the real world. It definitely was in fairy tale land. Well, I mean, I think we can assume that was his thing back in cooking school. Yeah. So, she's concerned that he died from an alligator. So, back in the flashback, she's concerned that an alligator killed him to death, and Dr. Facilier shows up with his white gloves, and he's like, Oh, what have we here? He walks over to the corpse of the alligator, like he uses magic to pull a thing out of it. Yeah, he pulls a necklace from out of the alligator, and Tiana is like, seriously, fucking jewelry? This was about fucking jewelry? And he's like, yeah, my alligator swallowed something a long time ago. I couldn't kill it, so I let it out, and I figured one of you guys would do it. It's magic jewelry, Tiana. Yeah, it was about magic jewelry. And I just want to point out, the stone she gave him before, in the first Tiana episode, was the red stone that is the center of the resurrection amulet. amulet. And the thing that he pulls out of the alligator is the setting that the resurrection amulet is in. So uh, it appears that the amulet requires both the stone and some sort of magical setting to function. All right. Tiana insists that since he has his necklace now, he should uh, bring Naveen back to life since they had a deal. And he's like, oh, oh I, that'll cost you. And Tiana's like, no, you already owed me a favor from when I got you the thing the first time, remember? And he's like, oh, right. He bloops uh, Naveen back from the dead. Yep. And then he uses some weird logic. He's like, I did my favor for you, but I also brought him back, so he owes me a favor. And Tiana's like, that's not how favors work. And he's like, ah, but he's in my service now. And she's like, no, seriously, words have meanings. So I guess this was always his thing, not getting how phrases work. No, 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 no. I think I think you misunderstood what he was saying. He saving Naveen's life was Tiana's favor. 
But Naveen already owed him a favor. Oh. And Naveen was going to pay back that favor by getting the necklace. But since Tiana's the one who got the necklace, Naveen never paid off that favor. So does, now Naveen is in his service. Doesn't he technically owe Tiana two favors then? Well, she didn't negotiate it ahead of time. I mean, she should really be getting that extra favor on Naveen's behalf. I agree, but since she failed to negotiate, here we are. So he bamfed him away, so he bamps Naveen away until he can think of something to do with him. And, uh... And Tiana's like, um, I'm about to be queen, and that's gonna be really, really bad for you, because I'm gonna, like, get my whole nation to kick your ass. Although, really, she should just be, like, calling Regina right because from what we've seen he's like magical but he's not like super powerful magical or anything regina should probably be able to take care of this situation back back in seattle uh her truck is super successful drew is helping her out and there's a line out the door including the cop yay everything worked out it just made me think of that toucan birdie scene where the cop goes to their bakery and, uh, you know, the new girl in town tries to charge him and he reaches for the gun and, and, uh, Bertie's like, no, no, it's fine. It's free. And he's like, ah, yeah, he got me there. And she's like, yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, yes. I do have to point out a couple things. Sabine is still doing the thing she was doing in the last episode where she cooks the beignets and then puts them in the bag. Those beignets are not going to be that delicious because they've been sitting out. And also it does appear that the only two things she sells are beignets and gumbo, so maybe just cut the gumbo off of your menu. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in the present... Meanwhile, back in the present, Hook and Rumple go back to the Blind Witch's... Uh, bakery. Bakery in order to, I guess, break in and look at her stuff. But unfortunately, she's dead. Not really. She's unconscious she's on the ground. She's mostly dead. She's mostly dead. She's been savaged somehow and handcuffed to a table. And a lock of her hair is missing, just as a lock of Dr. Sage's hair was missing. Hmm. So now, basically, they know that it's not that the cult is killing people, it's that people are killing cultists. Yes. Which is a big difference. It's going all Silent Hill 3. I will take your word for that. Back at the bar, Regina and Zelina are talking about how they're awake, but Dr. Facilier is asleep. And then Rumple walks in and is like, I'm awake too. Yeah, I do really like how... Selena's like, the dark one in uh, denim, hmm? And Regina's like, really? You're awake now? Like, I called you on it before. And he's like, yeah, I'd apologize, but eh, whatever. You know me. I was in the middle of my own scheme, so I couldn't reveal myself then. Deal with it. Um, I want to say the dark one in denim, since you brought it up. A different one of our listeners on the Facebook group suggested that that might be a reference to Randall Flagg from The Stand, which was, I watched that miniseries back when it first came out ages and ages ago, but I hadn't watched it since, so it didn't, it wasn't a reference that occurred to me, but then I googled Randall Flagg in The Stand, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is definitely probably a reference to that. Cool. I always wonder about the stuff we miss. It's always cool when, you know. Yes, yes. I I love it. That's one of the things I love about this podcast is when people let us know those things like we talked about dr whale when he first appeared for ages and we didn't know what it was a reference to and someone just tweeted at us that it was a reference to the director of the frankenstein Frankenstein movie Yeah. yeah so he tells them so uh 
people are killing a whole bunch of members of this coven. They're hunting witches, so, you know, maybe y'all want to keep an eye out. Just you know, be careful, which is oddly considerate of him. That is pretty considerate. He didn't even ask them for any money or anything. He also talks about how the doctor, Dr. Sage, while she did not have a tattoo, she did have a tattoo removal scar. Well, he said she has a scar, and Ronnie said, and Regina says, uh, it's a tattoo removal scar. And then Rumpel and Zelina look at her, and she's like, look, Ronnie made some bad decisions I needed to rectify. Yeah, she says no one needs to have uh, Def Leppard lyrics tattooed on them. So, I feel like that raises some questions. Wait, is one of the questions, when does she have time to get that tattoo removal done? That is a good question. Huh. So, did she get a tattoo? I assume she had a tattoo directly below her belt line that said, pour some sugar on me. No, I was thinking when the curse started, did it give her a tattoo or did she get a tattoo in the short period between when the curse started and when she woke up? I think she got a tattoo in the short period between when the curse started and when she woke up. Because I don't think the curse would have been able to give her a tattoo. You don't think the curse can physically change you like that? I do not. All right. So back at Jacinda's apartment, Henry is evaluating the mixtape that Jacinda made. Mm -hmm. And he's doing it nicely. He's like, good song choices. Lauren Hill's on it. Mm -hmm. It still feels a little condescending, though. Yeah, but I feel like you kind of can't talk about music without sounding a little condescending. I feel like music is one of those subjects where you're always going to sound a little condescending. I guess that's true. So, uh, but yeah, he does sound kind of condescending. And... Jacinda says, you know, I'm full of surprises, Henry Mills. And he's like, why do you always call me by my full name? And she's like, because it's weirdly sexual. And he's like, it is kind of weirdly sexual. And then they start leaning in. Meanwhile, in Lucy's bedroom, she's in bed rereading the Once Upon a Time book. The novel, not the, not the real book. Not the book book. When suddenly she has a pretty severe case of bedroom monsters. Yeah, something moves in her closet. So she goes to the closet... And there's no one in there, but you know what is in there? A page. A page from the book. A page from the book explaining the whole thing about how Henry is poisoned, and if the curse is broken, then he'll fucking die. So, now she has gone from encouraging them to kiss to realizing that she needs to go block that shit. Yes, so she runs out of her room, she's like... I had a nightmare, and Jacinda's like, what are you still doing up? And she's like, I went to bed at, like, six. How much time has passed? Yeah, it's probably still, like, eight. But, I mean, she did just get out of a coma. So, she's pretty spry for someone who was just in a coma. She jumps over the back of the couch to land between them, and yeah, it is, as you say, spry. She says she had a nightmare, and now she can't go back to sleep, so they're just gonna play checkers all night long. Yeah, because she really doesn't want her dad to die, which, good. Fair. That makes sense. Meanwhile, Sabine and Drew are shutting down her truck. It was a bonkers, crazy good night for money. Everyone knows the truck now even more than they did before, and she is rolling in cash. Drew takes one of the trash bags out to the dumpster, and out there he runs into Dr. Facilier, who... Who's like, ah, excellent. You've earned her trust. Now... You need to keep working with her so that my vague plan can go into action. And uh, 
Drew's like, hmm, that just squares my jaw. Yeah, he's not happy about this, but he's doing it for whatever reason. Dude has a serious jawline. I know, I like it. Like, you could, I don't know, I can't think of a good thing. You could, I don't know, forge swords on it. It's like an anvil. Yes. Back in the fairy tale flashback, Tiana is back in her coronation dress. She's told everyone what happened. And they're all sad, but the coronation must go on and they'll figure out a way to save Naveen. Okay, so I know it's probably just that they shot these two scenes back to back. Uh-huh. But it, and I know it's, they were going to use wear these outfits to the coronation anyway, but it seems kind of weird where she's just like, okay, everyone has to wear their same outfits with the same hairstyles. Well, I assume that people had those dresses made special for the coronation. This is so awkward for Henry. He's just wearing his basic adventurer's outfit. Yeah, no one made an outfit for Henry for the coronation. It's kind of schlubby, right? I mean, it's like coming, it's like going to a fancy event in like a t-shirt and jeans, but fantasy-wise. That's exactly what that is. It's the fantasy version of that. So everyone heads out except for Regina, who hangs back. And Henry's like, aren't you coming? And she's like, I, I need a moment. Yeah, I need to uh, create some plot suspense first. And as soon as Regina is alone, Dr. Facilier appears. And he's like, hey, you remember that one time we used to bang all the time? Okay, so we were talking about when they used to bang. Yeah, we were trying to figure this out because, I mean, this is Regina Classic, and he was still, apparently they were having sex while she was still evil and a queen. So it must have been while she was trying to find Snow White. Yeah. He must have been her bang buddy then. That's just, that's not a lot of time for that. I mean, she was after Snow White for, what, two, three years, maybe? Yeah. At at most, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe more, maybe four or five years. He pulls out the resurrection thing, and he's like, I have this resurrection stone, and it's inside the resurrection locket, and I have vague plans, and I want to bang you while I commit those vague plans. Maybe I'm going to be the big bad now. Who knows what the future may hold, except for me, because I have cards that tell me that sort of thing. I like that uh, even though she's not into the evil plan, she's still, like, obviously attracted to him. Yeah, they make out. She's like, you know, I'm going to stop you, right? And she's like, and he's like, well, it's kind of mixed messages. We just made out. What? What? Well, I mean, she's into it. It's hard. It's hard, so to speak. So she knocks on his door in the real world in Seattle. She's like, hey, I know you're awake. Stop it. My plan was dumb. There's no way you fell for it. Be awake. And he's like, ah, you got me. And she's like, what are you doing here? What's going on? And he's like, I have vague plans. That's been my whole thing this episode. Don't you get that I have vague plans? She's like, are you going to try to be the big bad? And he's like, "Mm hmm. He's like, that sounds boring. I'm not into boring. I'm just going to stand here and vague book at you. Except in this case, the book isn't Facebook. It's Once Upon a Time. Yes. He's like, come on. Don't you trust that I have good intentions? And she's like, no. You were so upfront about being evil in the flashbacks. He's like, oh, come on. We had fun. We can have fun again in the future. And she's like, you're not giving me any actual information. But again, still obviously attracted to him. Well, yeah, he's a very handsome man. And she steps into his apartment for whatever vague reasons. And that's the end of the episode. 
it kind of doesn't feel like a lot happened this episode. We met Prince Naveen. I mean, we somehow managed to talk for a fairly long period of time, but it, it didn't feel like a lot ended up happening. Well, I mean, that's what I said when we started this episode. This episode felt like it should be at the beginning of the season. And in fact, I, I said I was going to say the thing that really bothered me, which was that they had Lucy stop the curse from breaking. I was really looking forward to them breaking the curse in the middle of the season, everyone having their memories back, and then having to figure out how to save Henry. But no. Lucy had to figure out what was wrong and keep it from happening. Also, the weirdly phrased thing about someone having a hunch this episode didn't end up meaning anything. No, it just meant Weaver and Rogers do more fucking detective work. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Uh. The next episode is called Nightfall, but like k-n-i-g-h-t-f-a-l-l yeah and the netflix description is a desperate hook strikes a deal to free his daughter in hyperion heights rogers questions eloise gardner for clues about the killer at large oh god it's a hook episode i mean they haven't all been terrible they've actually been pretty good this season yeah so fashion corner um i liked all the coronation dresses they were all too much in just the right amounts that yeah, that's a fairly accurate summation. Uh, I really think Tiana's mom had the best one, though. It was a great cut. The purple really popped. I love the cut of Regina's, but just the pale blue did not work for her. Well, as, I mean, it did not work for her. It just didn't make her stand out the way her stuff usually stands out. It was fine. I feel like it washed her out a bit. Oh, maybe a little. So, I don't have any recommendations this episode, do you? Uh, see, the thing is, I have the same recommendation I had for the last Tiana ref- uh, for the last Tiana episode, which is the Terry Pratchett book, Which is Abroad. I mean, I guess we can't recommend that too much. It's a really good book. But, yeah, I think that'll about do it. Yeah, so that's it for this week. Welcome to Storybrooke is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our Facebook page, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, and Javier. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode with us, you should head over to Facebook and join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. Maybe you can give us some ideas for more recommendations. Uh, We can also be contacted at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or at ilovetvzines on Twitter. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. No, you can't get friendly with the crocodile. Don't be taken in by his welcome grin. He's imagining how well you'd fit within his skin. Never smile at a crocodile.